0: This is Wilderness and Wildlife presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with conservation specialists relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Kim Crombo, a member of the Leadership Council of the Rewilding Institute and the Mexican Wolf Recovery Consultant with the Wildlands Network. He is a retired Navy SEAL and is a recipient of the Bronze Star. Kim served for 20 years with the National Park Service in the Grand Canyon as the River Ranger and later as Wilderness Coordinator. He worked as a professional river guide for 10 years and two years as the wilderness coordinator for the Sierra Club. He assists an eclectic array of conservationist partners in development and implementation of the Western Wild Way, including wilderness and national monument designations. His work includes active participation in a collaborative effort of local, regional, and national conservation scientific and sportsmen's organizations and concerned citizens to help save the endangered Mexican gray wolf. Among his many awards, Kim received the Wilberforce Foundation's 2016 Conservation Leadership Award. Among other publications, he's the author of A River Runner's Guide to the History of the Grand Canyon. So, Kim Crumbo, welcome. It's great to be talking with you. So, let's start with what the Rewilding Institute is and what your role is in its activity.
1: Well, yeah, Rewilding Institute, kind of an offshoot of uh, the Wildlands uh, Network effort. Uh, Uh The founder was... uh, Dave Foreman, but we look primarily at uh, rewilding as a premise that, uh, in terms of restoring the ecological integrity of wildlands, including its uh,
0: full complement of native species. So that's pretty much what we're, our goal is. So the Rewilding Institute has a number of members uh, who make up the Wildlands Network. Uh, explain, explain what the Wildlands Network is. Well, the Wildlands Network was formed uh, from the
1: old Wildlands Project, and it it consisted of networks of people protecting networks of land. So the whole idea was to protect core areas, wilderness areas, uh, and essential wildlife habitat areas, and connect them with uh, an effective uh, linkages we call wildlife corridors or pathways or uh, wild ways, so.
0: So, uh, the Rewilding Institute has an online newsletter, I think, Um and people can access that just by, uh, looking up Wildland Rewilding Institute, is that right? Correct, yes,
1: that's the fastest way.
0: Okay, so your rewild, your role is, um the Mexican Wolf Recovery Consultant. Uh, so tell us about your role in the Mexican Wolf. What's your responsibility? Okay, with, wild,
1: uh, with the Rewilding Institute, Dave Parson and I, you know, primarily Dave Parson, who is uh, intimately involved with the Mexican Wolf Recovery, he's sort of the carnivore expert. Uh-huh. I am the uh, uh, recovery consultant for the Wildlands Network. So what we're doing in that role is to keep track of the uh, progress that we're making in terms of recovering the Mexican wolf.
0: And uh, are you do you go, are you out in the field or how do you gather your your information? Yeah, we've been.
1: I, uh, I've been involved with the recovery effort for since the mid nineteen ninety So we've been keeping track of what's happening in terms of opportunities to restore wolves to uh, the Southwest. I've been involved with the uh, the uh, Mexican Wolf Recovery Team. I was actually a part of that one on their token conservation. Conservation as representatives, and stay engaged with uh, various partners through an informal coalition. So we've been active in doing that, keeping tabs on the, on the status of the Mexican wolves. Unfortunately, I don't get out that much. I did do some hiking in the Gila uh, mm-hmm. last year, We and uh it, and I have done quite a bit of in terms of wilderness surveys along the Mogollon Rim, which is part of the recovery area. Oh. But uh, of late, uh, not getting out too much anymore. But so,
0: so how, so how do you gather your information? Uh, well, we keep, go yeah, ahead. we keep track of, we keep track of uh, what's happening in terms
1: of. There's, there's a lot of things happening regarding the agencies regarding a, a variety of conservationists uh, their work so it's basically keeping tabs on what is happening in terms of uh, of uh, promoting recovery of wolves throughout the nation but in the case of the mexican wolf
0: uh, certainly the southwest so uh, what's what's the current status of the wolf in the southwest well, yeah if,
1: People probably heard that the uh, Trump administration has delisted the uh, or is in the process of delisting the uh, wolf nationwide, which is uh, a real serious concern. That does not affect yet the Mexican wolf, which is a separate subspecies that's under uh, different uh, uh, listings. And, uh, so it's, the Mexican wolf still remains uh, protected under the
0: uh, Endangered Species Act. So, do you have wolves that have been collared? Oh yes, yes. There's uh, I was So you can, can keep you can them. keep track of their movements. Is that right? Well, yeah. It's actually the role of
1: the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and uh, the various state agencies to keep track of them. But we keep you know we receive periodic updates in terms of. Uh, you know what's happening uh in terms of those uh, I, I don't really have it uh, we have uh we have seven, 30 named wolf packs 18 in Arizona and 19 in New Mexico and really one, wow a, a
0: yeah a significant number of those are, are collared. so so they're in Arizona and New Mexico they don't, they yeah, yeah uh and and Mexico Right, and they, they but they don't drift drift over into Texas or California or up into Utah. Well, see, the problem right now is the current
1: rule that applies to Mexican wolves. That's the federal rule, requires the agencies to retrieve or kill uh, wolves that go beyond the established uh, recovery area. We've been fighting that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, Mexico, uh, Texas any wolves going north of I forty which six oh. uh New Mexico and Arizona oh. uh, are retrieved or,
0: or eliminated. Really? Huh. Oh. So uh uh how many how many packs did you say there are? Well the current you know information
1: we've got there are thirty seven name packs, uh and again eighteen in Arizona and nineteen in New Mexico. Uh huh that's the current information. And yeah. what's
0: what's the population number? Is there an estimate on that? Yeah, it's around. Uh, well, they it
1: varies, but it's around 150.
0: Uh huh. And what's what's the what's the variation on the pack size? Well, a pack size is defined as two or four wolves that maintain an
1: established uh, territory. So yeah. it's about. Uh, so that'll vary.
0: We're we're trying to get
1: the uh, recovery era expanded.
0: What's the largest pack? What's the par- largest population in a pack?
1: You know, uh, it seems like there's been depending on how the survival of pups, uh-huh. you know, they, they can get up. I mean, you know, they can get up around ten, but uh, right uh-huh. now it's about six, I think. A, again, uh-huh. I'd
0: have to double check that, yeah, but okay. it, it varies,
1: and uh, they are subject to uh, illegal
0: killings. So the Mexican wolf is a subspecies of the gray wolf. Is that right? Correct. And, and it enjoys a,
1: a, a unique status under the Endangered uh, Species Act. So,
0: uh, are they? Are, is there a notice, notice a noticeable difference between the the gray wolf and the Mexican wolf?
1: Well, the Mexican wolf evolved in the basically desert southwest so it's a smaller smaller animal uh you know around 80 pounds or so but oh, it has effectively uh learned how to hunt elk which is a fairly good sized species that was one sure. of the earlier concerns it's, right. uh, managed to figure is. that one out so they're smaller and they're also genetically unique which is a problem right now because it's uh, we're really concerned about the genetic uh, diversity that the, the species has—that's uh, a real concern.
0: And uh, does it does it um, is it found as far west as the Grand Canyon or as far north? Well, it used to be, and
1: that's one of the things uh, that we're trying to uh, resolve right now. The current rule that uh, applies to the Mexican Wolf Recovery Area forbids them from going north of i forty, which would uh, uh, which eliminates two of the three major recovery areas identified by the uh, U- US Fish and Wildlife Service's own uh, uh, scientists. So right now we want we're trying to get that will change so that any wolves that go north of I-40 could enter the Grand Canyon ecoregion and uh, southern Utah or uh, southern Colorado, northern er- northern New Mexico or
0: southern Colorado. So uh, how does it fit into the ecosystem where it's currently found? Uh, what uh, what does it predate upon and does it have any enemies that predate on it? Well, other, other than humans, it really doesn't have any, or other wolves,
1: it doesn't have any uh, enemies, but it is an essential, you know, large carnivores like wolves in uh-huh. mountain land are essential components of any healthy ecosystem, so we're in the process of turning a major uh, contributor to ecosystem resilience by getting the wolves back into those
0: areas. So, so it doesn't tangle with mountain lions uh, well, uh, or jaguars? Lions,
1: well, we haven't Yeah, We haven't had any indication that uh, a wolf would be stupid enough to take on a jaguar, but they do, you know, mountain lions and wolves go involved and uh, mountain lions tend to lose out in those competitions. Uh,
0: one of the reasons
1: why mountain lions climb trees get away from predators is the effect that wolfbacks had on their evolution uh, you know, through, throughout North America.
0: So, so uh, are you and the people you're working with, are you satisfied with its population size or are you anxious to see its population increase?
1: were very dissatisfied with the population size. The Fish and Wildlife Service implemented uh, this rule uh, in defiance of the best science available. Their own scientists then, uh, recommended a significantly larger population with uh, with additional recovery zones. So what the Fish and Wildlife Service at the highest of the state decided on a much smaller population than we consider as viable and uh, just one recovery area rather than the three specified by the science team in the United States and relying heavily on Mexico as a uh, uh, you know as a recovery area that's not working out
0: Uh, so do you want to see its territory extended absolutely we want to see we have you know the U.S. government
1: has uh, managed authority over wolves in the United States, n- not Mexico. But we do want to see them extended north of I-40, which was an arbitrary boundary,
0: to include
1: southern Colorado, the San Juan Mountains, and uh-huh. the Grand Canyon ecoregion. So, uh-huh. yeah, we, we, we it will require a substantial expansion of the recovery area and an increase from the uh, minimum population that they've established yeah. for recovery.
0: So... Uh does the Mexican wolf population, uh, is it integrated with, uh, wolves that are, that are south of the border? Uh, and, and right. do the wolves cross the border into Mexico, into Mexico and back this way? Yeah. Any wolf found in
1: Mexico is a direct descendant of the population that was rescued by stealing the wolves from Mexico and, and raising them. And, uh, yeah, there was only seven wolves oh, left uh-huh. in the world. So they, uh, they were, uh, uh, these, you know, the, the various zoos uh, provided the uh, opportunity to raise these wolves in uh, captivity, and they were subsequently released into the United States, and uh, several of them reintroduced into Mexico. So
0: they're the same subspecies. So they are, they are actively crossing the border between Mexico and the U.S.? They're trying to, of course. Uh, there has been a record
1: of uh, one or two wolves that have come up from Mexico and returned to you know, to the United States and returned to Mexico. They're, they're obviously that potential. But what the uh, Trump administration has been doing is building these walls that preclude a movement for any animal of their size. So that
0: includes jaguars and a right. number of other species. Right. So uh, the Mexican wolves, the, the, the wolves that are in Mexico are in the Sierra on the Mexican side of the is uh, Sierra Madre. Yeah, uh, the problem in Mexico has to do with the
1: status of land. Most of it's private land. So you really have to work with a number of uh, entities. And uh, there is no public lands that we can... Uh, expect And there's a lot of cattle. So Mexico has a, a unique challenge in terms of establishing populations of Mexican
0: wolves. Does the Mexican government protect protect the wolves? In theory, but the uh, we're not really sure
1: of the status. The, the folks that are doing the recovery in Mexico are really stressed, stressed in terms of funding, and, and, you know, there's certain hazards going out with some of the, uh, along the border area regarding the, uh, the cartels and things, so they, they have a lot of challenges, uh, they certainly have good intentions, and they, they're certainly a dedicated lot, but, uh, uh-huh. their, their challenges are more than ours.
0: Okay, and, uh, are there? Does the Mexican wolf predate on any other species that are threatened or endangered?
1: Well, uh, I'm sure they'll grab whatever they can. You know, they're not really conversant what's protected or not, but they primarily feed on uh, prey on uh, deer and elk. That's their uh-huh, okay. Their preferred prey, but they'll eat what's available, I'm sure.
0: So what's your role in uh, gaining its uh, acceptance in the Mexico and Arizona? Well,
1: one of the things is to keep the uh, Mexican wolf uh, in, as an endangered a, a species. Now, it's a, what's called a 10J uh, classification, which means that it's experimental and that uh, it, uh, its status kind of is diminished from fully protected to threatened. So there's a lot of uh, management flexibility, I think the term they use in terms of uh, uh, managing the recovery of that subspecies. So So, our role is to um, make sure the agencies follow the law, you know, uh Uh, but our role is to ensure that the management plan that comes from this The revision of the rule, which they have to have, they have to revise this rule that precludes a lot of things, but you know, movement north of I 40. They have to have a plan out uh, that has to be completed by uh, next year, Uh so May of 2021. Uh So we're getting people aware of that. We're, we're, and we're, uh, encouraging the agency and the new administration to uh, make sure that we have a good rule and that we have a sufficient management plan that really results
0: in recovery of the Mexican wolves. So how are ranchers uh, doing, doing with the wolves? <laughs> What's their attitude? Well, yeah,
1: uh, well, it's sort of a traditional, uh, most of them, Well, to say the least, are not enthusiastic. There's some that are quite hostile, but there's some that uh, have accepted, you know,
0: large predators
1: on their grazing permits, and uh, it depends on the rancher. But uh, defenders of wildlife, uh, particularly a guy named Craig Miller, working very effectively with uh, ranchers in terms of coming up with uh, coexistence criteria so that uh, wolves and ranchers can get along. So. We'll just see how that plays
0: out, but so there is a is there, protect- there is an effort to to try to get ranchers to accommodate with the wolves. Sure, yeah,
1: and again, it's been defenders of wildlife that's been fairly uh-huh. active in that realm, and there's varying degrees of success, but uh, uh, the the key is to keep that the uh, Mexican wolf under the protection of the Endangered Species Act, so but we have. Uh, authority to uh, protect it, and we can't rely on the states. States are both Arizona and New Mexico have been pretty bad in terms right. of actually protecting that species. So,
0: uh-huh. so uh, I assume that ranchers can shoot wolves that predate on livestock, is that right?
1: Well, there's a lot of restrictions to that. They're, 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 they're required to. Um, Implement some uh, non-lethal measurements. Um, ultimately, they do shoot wolves that attack that are that are actively attacking their uh, their livestock. But uh, usually, it's sort of these preemptive attempts, you know, proactive killing of the animals so that they don't have to deal with it. There's just some bad apples in that whole lot. And they're always out of
0: bad. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is is pretty supportive of the, uh, the they play, they play a positive role. Well, they're required to by law. So uh uh-huh. Yes, they did. But the, the state the state agencies are are uh, hostile or at least neutral about it. Well, the states are required to help,
1: you know, to assist in the recovery, and they have done. Uh, there's a lot of good staff out in the field that have done a, a remarkable job in, in doing that. But the bottom line is that the uh, the various state agencies have undermined the uh, potential for wolf recovery through the restriction of the uh, recovery areas, you know, confining north, south of uh, I-40, uh, placing heavy emphasis on Mexico as a, as a Recovery zone when they knew damn well that wasn't going to work out, at least in the short term. So, I'd say yeah, they, they, they are supportive in terms of the requirements under the law, but in terms of the, uh, the culture itself, it's problematic.
0: So, uh, defenders of wildlife, uh, is heavily involved. Are there other NGOs that are, that are active in protecting the wildlife? Oh yes.
1: Oh yes, there's sort of an informal coalition that includes uh, the big guys, Center for Biological Diversity, Sierra Club, uh, those folks, but there's a lot of smaller groups that are actively engaged in uh, protecting them, including the Rewilding Institute, the the Grand Canyon Wolf Recovery Project, uh, Uh uh, a variety of others that have played a very essential and important role in getting the
0: word out and protecting that species, so yes. So what other uh, keystone species are you uh, working on?
1: Well, uh, in terms of protected species, it's always been the wolf and jaguar and grizzly bears. Uh, There's no grizzly bears in Arizona or New Mexico, but uh, Uh (laughs) there could be. But uh, mountain lions, you know, that's an important keystone species that's heavily persecuted. that would be, and jaguars certainly, but, you know, things like uh, ferocious animals like prairie dogs and, you know, they're important. Beaver are really important keystone species that uh, continue to be persecuted, and uh, we've got to get some kind of protection for those species.
0: So uh, you're, you're involved with assisting other conservationist partners in the development and implementation of the Western Wild, Wild Way, uh, yes, that includes wilderness and national monument designations. Well, it certainly does. Uh,
1: it's uh, there's a lot of protected areas in the West, but the, the problem is that they're not often uh, effectively connected, and that's been
0: one of the uh, you know,
1: establishing wildlife corridors that are uh-huh. uh, right. managed to provide for connectivity. Uh, you know, looking at Places, you know, the freeways and highways, the things that are pretty lethal to wildlife movement, you know, getting, coordinating with various groups to uh, get funding for crossings, you know, overpasses, underpasses, but also getting the agencies to incorporate goals and management objectives in their land use plans that facilitates the movement and migration of wildlife.
0: So uh, are you involved in the uh, issue over Bears Ears? National Monument and Escalante Staircase. Yeah, we are pretty instrumental
1: in getting those established, and there are a number of uh, groups that are litigating those uh, decisions by the Trump administration to eviscerate those monuments. So, yeah, it's something that's really that we're paying close attention to.
0: Well, I think uh, Biden has indicated that uh, that's he's going to attempt to restore original boundaries. But I'm wondering if there's any activity that has uh, any exploration or drilling activity that's occurred in either of those national monuments uh, in the area where there's a border dispute, where Trump tried yes, to pull back. Uh, yeah,
1: he's trying to uh, encourage, you know, extraction of fossil fuels in uh, Bears Airs. Right. Particularly, but, uh, um, so those, those efforts are being litigated. But there's also an active, uh, outreach by various conservationists to, uh, encourage the Biden administration to rescind those, uh, you know, to establish the old, uh, monument boundaries. I think that's something that uh, they're inclined to do and certainly are encouraged. Conservationists are encouraging to do that as initial steps in the, uh, first hundred days of the administration, so. So
0: uh, you're hopeful that the original boundaries are going to be restored uh, with the Biden administration? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, optimistic that he'll do that. It's uh, something that uh, he's committed to, and it's certainly
1: something that's... uh, uh, Yeah, they're inclined to do. Uh, I did have the fortune of taking Biden on a river trip in the mid-70s when he was still... You know, when were just crushing the
0: creditors. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm so, uh, uh, you worked for many years in the Grand Canyon. So, how do you feel about the Grand Canyon and the Glen Canyon Dam that blocks the Colorado uh, flowing through the canyon? Well, it's, yeah, uh, Glen Canyon
1: is. Uh, symbolic of a lot of things that are wrong with, uh, with the West. Uh, it should not have been built, obviously. Uh, yeah. It's got a long, complicated history, but it has had a profound impact on Grand Canyon itself. It has
0: it's, uh, You know, I was a river guide for,
1: and a river ranger down there for you know, about 30 years. So, the good thing about the dam is it provides cold water and keeps beer cold, but other than that, it uh, doesn't do You know, it's pretty harmful. The species, the native species that evolve there, this sediment transport, just a lot of things that
0: make it a a bad deal for the Grand Canyon ecosystem. Okay, Kim. Well, we've exhausted our time, so, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I wish you, wish you well on what you're trying to accomplish. So, thanks again. Thank you very much. Our guest today has been Kim Crumbo, a member of the Leadership Council of the Rewilding Institute and the Mexican Recovery Consultant with the Wildlands Network. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gowan Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, Google Wilderness and Wildlife, or go online to jswilderness5.net and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.